Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting radiolemon.com. The checkered flag ends the race, but not the race talk. Post race tech on radiolemon.com. Have your say. Ask the experts. Make your point. Post race tech. The end of the race is only the beginning. Well, 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 we head into Aston Martin post-race tech after a, an awesome 24 hours of Le Mans, the 85th time that this race has been run, and we have victories for Kiwis for the first time in many, many years, since 1966, when Bruce McLaren and Chris Amon won in a Ford GT40 in that... Uh, well, much-remembered race finish, and that's part of the reason why, of course, the, one of the four GTs still runs with the 66 now, but it's been a tremendous run from the LMP2s, not only in the fact that we started 25 of them and 21 of them came home, but because of the fragility and unreliability of uh, the LMP1s, managed to squeeze two LMP2s on the overall podium. We're going to try and cycle through as many of uh, the Mobile One Radio Le Mans uh, presenting team as possible during Aston Martin post-race tech here on 91.2 FM and globally on RadioLamont.com and Graham Goodwin sitting next to me for the first spell as the fans are unleashed onto the track here at Le Mans to celebrate with the drivers underneath the podium. It's been a, another special one, hasn't it? Uh, very, very special indeed. And, you know, actually the emotions within this booth uh, I think match some of the feelings around the world to what we've just seen, not just for the overall win, uh, for Porsche after you know, an epic fight back. Let's get you know, a huge credit for a team effort there. Not only for the achievement of the LMP2 teams, keeping it all together against the odds, I think, but that astonishing uh, end of race battle in GTE Pro. And, and to give you just a flavour of this, I, you know, I've got one my set of emotions about people that I know well. Shadow behind me has got another set of emotions about people that she knows well. And we know that's the same on the spectator banks, in your living rooms, in your gardens, doing whatever you're doing. That's what this race, race means. It's a tribal thing. It's a real event. And as the pit lane is, is filling up at the moment, Johnny, which with what will eventually be something like 70 to 100,000 people to watch this podium celebration, it really is, isn't it, the people's event? Plenty more from our team in just a second. You're listening to Mobile One Radio Le Mans. This is the Aston Martin uh, post-race tech show. Post-race tech. With Aston Martin. And... How apt is it that uh, it is the Aston Martin post-race tech show after we were treated to such a great battle between Corvette and Aston Martin? Eventually, Johnny Adams' car, though, able to get by after a manoeuvre at Arnage Corner, and then Jordan Taylor got back in front, but heading up towards... Well, it was heading out of Ford Chicane, wasn't it? We got a cracking view from the naked eye of the overtake. 
because Jordan Taylor couldn't get through the Ford chicane as efficiently as the big Vantage, couldn't turn right effectively, then Johnny Adam just got the far better exit speed up the hill towards Dunlop Curve. Really bitter luck for Jordan Taylor. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what your allegiance is, you don't want to see people losing a big race like this at the very end like that. Uh, he's a racer. Uh, he's a successful racer, and this that will have meant a lot, uh, and not in a good way to Jordan Taylor. Congratulations, though, to Aston Martin Racing. They've been here year after year after year. They've always tried their hardest. They've not always had the best rub of the luck. They've had some awful luck and some awful circumstances to deal with in recent memory, and that will be very much the front of their minds, I'm sure, this afternoon. Well done, too, to Harry Tinknell and the Ford team. They saw an opportunity. Mm. They went for it. They thought they were going to be racing for third. It ended up being second. Absolutely astonishing result for them. But Jordan Taylor, very pleased he did at least manage to get back and get back in the podium. But for me, the two men I'm looking at here, we heard from Earl Bamba, um, young Brendan Hartley, uh, daily sports car, and one of our guys had a very special part in Brendan Hartley being here today, uh, which is a story that Brendan told me some years ago in Shanghai. Uh, if you're listening, Peter May, uh, Pedro, one of our little photographers, it was Pedro that introduced Brendan Hartley to Greg Murphy. Um, and that got him uh, from a point where his single-seater career had rather stalled and onto the sports car ladder. Enjoy this moment, Pete, because uh, we are. And Timo Bernard, uh, one of the elder statesmen now of sports car racing, absolutely the glue that holds this Porsche team together. And his emotions in the car on the, the cooling down lap uh, were absolutely there for all to see. It will mean a huge amount to him. Well done, all of you. Some unusual weather, I think it's fair to say, uh, this year at um, Circuit de la Sarte. I know we're, you know, we deliberately hold this race in June to get the shortest possible night and hopefully some summer weather. But we've had an awful lot of rain and cooler conditions in recent years. It's provided a fabulous competition and a fabulous 24 hours, hasn't it, Paul? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things at the end of the race. Yes, you do get a bit drained and a bit speechless. And uh, uh, I, I take a long time to kind of work through it all and work out what happened for various reasons and uh, try and cement it all in the in the brain. But, uh, you know, there are, there are flashes that uh, come into your mind and um, the the utter meltdown of Toyota and the um, the despondency, the utter desperation of those faces in the Toyota garage as one by one, as uh, as we heard later on from, from Joe Bradley when he spoke to Hugh de Schonach, um, the, uh, the, the Toyota challenge just evaporated. But then when the same thing happened to Porsche... You thought, well, actually, yes, the number two car is, is in a position to uh, to pull this one back. Various I images, as I say, will, will kind of come back and you'll try and fit them all together. But uh, I think what uh, Graham said as well about the sheer emotion of this event, the scale of this event, this is one of those events that people make lists of, of people who have won it. And uh, it's it's a, just a great, uh, great event and thoroughly rewarded. But uh, you have to say, those LMP2 cars... One of them could have very nearly won this race, and uh, um, the uh, the team aspect of that uh, of that win absolutely brilliant because the number two team it wasn't just a win by the drivers it was a win by all the guys in the uh, in the garage who put the car back together again after it broke its uh, front motor at the uh, yes. after three and a half hours yes and we're all uh, thinking well that car's done no chance of a race win Gemma Hatton of race car engineering but it just shows doesn't it. 
when the chips are down, you just don't think about where you are in the race. You concentrate on getting the car in, getting it fixed and getting it sent out as quickly as possible. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of emotion, Paul, I mean, I'm on the verge of tears and I've got no excuse to be because I've just been sitting here watching it. And you picked a good first year. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I have been part of a team for 24 hours and I know the effort and, you know, for the drivers, this is a dream, but also the engineers, you know, and the mechanics. You go through years of training, you work your way up the tiers of motorsport to try and win either an F1 race or Le Mans. And, you know, this, what we've witnessed today is ticking off some major life goals for many people out there. And, uh, well, it's just amazing. <laughs> uh, Tim Gray back in London making the point that Earl Bamba in a P1 car never finished any lower than first. It's quite a good record. 15 yeah. and this year. Uh, also, well, questions being asked by many people uh, along uh, as uh, Rob Chalmers is one of those people, I should say. And he makes the point if the Toyota hybrid could have been turned around quicker, the number eight, they would have really been in with a chance of, of taking a race victory because they came pretty close in the end. Ninth place overall, and Sebastian Buemi well and truly wound up. Could they have got that eight car out quicker? And, um, you know, are they ruining the fact that the seven car didn't finish, the nine car didn't finish? If they turned the eight car around, they might have finally won this great race. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it could have gone either way very easily indeed. So, uh, no, I mean, we said at the time when the when the... When the Toyota was taking longer to fix, we said, interesting it's taking longer to fix, but I thought it was just an irrelevance. In fact, it turned the race. Quite right, too. Um, so many other questions coming through now on, uh, on Twitter. By the way, address your tweets to RSL underscore studio and to at Radio Le Mans as well. If you stick the hashtag Mobile1RLM in that message, then it will find its way to us. We're working our way through the Aston Martin post-race tech, John Hindall. John, can I, uh, Johnny, can I just make a quick point about that Toyota? It took more than three laps out of the car that won the race when it came back on the track. It was by far the quickest car. And so you're absolutely right to say that that item not being as let's say serviceable yeah. as the as a similar problem in the Porsche cost Toyota the motor race no ifs buts or maybes here they came here to win they probably came here to wipe the podium they expected first second and third talking to the guys at Porsche in the early part of the week I was sworn to secrecy they they were a bit down their shoulders were down I didn't really want to say that because I didn't think it was fair they were here to pick up the pieces and collect championship points once again, they've come away with a Le Mans victory. They're 19th and three in a row, extending their record. That's an extraordinary result for Andreas Seidel, for Vitzensing and the rest of the team that they weren't expecting. But it could and should have been Toyotas again. And I just don't know where they come back from from this. There That's twice a, now. There is a jinx and there is this jinx for Toyota. They have tried for decades to win this race and again it hasn't happened despite having the numbers advantage three toyotas versus two porsches no audi and who knows what p1 is going to offer us in the future but this is a huge opportunity gone again yeah and i'm not sure that this golden age of sports cars which undoubtedly we are in i'm not sure there's that much more of it for toyota to be able to continue 
and do this level of competition without getting something. Five times, Johnny, they have been fifth, uh, they've been second now, and all of those five times, they probably should have taken the victory. And I'm just not sure how long they can keep doing this to themselves. There's a part of me that almost wants to say, stop beating yourself with that stick. Go and do something else. Now, they've come back strongly into World Championship rallying this year. They've got a, a win uh, under their belt. They got a podium at, at Monte Carlo, and then they went and won in Sweden. They've got the NASCAR Championship under their belt as well. It's not as if the rest of their motorsport isn't performing it is. And that must have a slight finger pointed at this. Super GT, they've done very well in, completely dominating this year. And I just, as I say, this is... It's, it's that... It's like a thorn in the pad of the Labrador, isn't it? You, mm. you kind of want to take it out and take the pain away. But once you've took the thorn out, you don't stick it back in again. You throw the thorn away, you bandage it up and you send your Labrador to sit down. You don't encourage it to go and run in rose beds again. And I don't know how long Toyota Gazoo Racing can keep doing this to themselves. They're a smashing bunch of people. Their technology is brilliant. They work really hard. There's nothing wrong with their engineering, it's sound. They just couldn't get that car turned around quick enough. True. However, if you're a motorsport team and you're made up of motorsport engineers, um, it goes against your instinct to give up. And, you know, I just feel that. Give it a couple of weeks, let them let them settle down, and, uh, and they'll be ready to fight, just like we had in Mano last year in mm. the F1 team you know, ripped our hearts out, the fact that they went into administration mm. um, and the fact that we lost in Brazil. But January, February, everyone was pushing 110% because you want to win. That is your instinct. And, uh, you know, like we always say, when you lose, it makes the wins more sweeter. Uh, the, the, the other thing I think we found out today is how much Porsche wanted this win. Because, as we said in commentary... They could have sat back and took the position and took the points for WEC. In some ways, that would have been a quite sensible thing to do. Do they really need another Le Mans win? When Lena Gade said, however many Le Mans wins you've got, you always want one more. So the old adage of there's only two amount of Le Mans wins in the world, none and not enough. And... I really, honestly, chapeau to Porsche. They've got the Porsche Experience Centre within our our view here here at Le Mans. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the view out at the cars in Parc Ferme with all the fans around it is something you just don't see in any other uh, form of motorsport. It's fantastic. It's brand new. And uh, uh, this, uh, this is very very reminiscent of the Nürburgring, actually, when the cars are parked up on the track. And, and I, I don't think they've done this before, Sam, have they? Well, we're just doing a bit of microphone swappery. John, it has to did be mentioned yeah. that... Did they do this last year? I don't yeah, remember yeah, this last year. Yeah. This is one of the best things I've seen in motor racing for a very, very long time. You've seen this 24-hour international motor race, one of the greatest races, probably the greatest race in the world. There's God knows how many thousands of people down on the start-finish line looking at the podium ceremony going on. Brendan Hartley finally got his Rolex. But looking out at the part firm, they've got all Point. the other cars who weren't in the podium in part firm in a public area. The fans are crowding around to see the cars they've just re seen racing for 24 hours. That is great fan interaction, and that is something every other race series needs to be looking at. Uh, just a, a pointer for people in the UK, by the way. On Wednesday, 
the Le Mans 3D movie is going to be shown for the first time in the UK. Check your local VU Cinema, VUE Cinema. Um, it's been in production for a couple of years. The footage is outstanding. Uh, it follows a, a three or four of the teams in the 15 uh, race. It's Le Mans as you've never seen it before with 4K cameras and 3D. And if listening to us hasn't made you want to go and watch that, then I'm sorry, we haven't done a good enough job. Now, there is one point I have to make because I was asked to make this by the Toyota hybrid team. Me and you, John, we made a little... It wasn't a mistake, it was a misunderstanding. So we were talking about the light panels yes. earlier in the race on the Toyota, and I said maybe they bought them from a raker when Lena was yeah. here. There was a misunderstanding, and some people have taken it. We were saying that the Toyota car is built by a raker. It's absolutely not. It's built by TMG in Cologne. Correct. The chassis and the engine and the power unit comes from Higashi Fuji Toyota's R&D center Fine. out there in Japan. So we've just got to make that absolutely clear. But one of the points I made during the race, and it's something that's gone around Twitter a little bit, survival is competition. And that really was the story of this race. Survival of the fastest as this. <laughs> Except it wasn't. It's not always the fastest that wins here. Sorry, Johnny, go it's ahead. It's all right. It's the Aston Martin post-race tech show on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM and globally on RadioLeMond.com. At RSL underscore studio when you're tweeting. Uh, Jatinda's done just that. Hello, Jet. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, will the fragility of the P1s increase the interest in P1 light, the P1 mm. privateers? Interesting. 100% yes. I can almost imagine the phone calls. If the Porsche hadn't won and it very came, it came very close to not winning, I could almost see Nick Perrin, Ewan Baldry's phones, and anybody else who's building one of the uh, the, the, the Japanese lot who we're going to be talking about next month, I think, mm. who are building this new cars to race in P1. Japanese L. lot. Yes, <laughs> there's a hint. Um, Janetta, all of those guys. Yeah, maybe Dome. And uh, <laughs> who are going to be building these new P1L cars. Their phones are going to be running red hot because if there was a competitive P1L car out there this year, it would have won the race overall. These guys are no longer shooting for a made-up fictional silly podium. They're shooting for the outright victory now, and that's amazing. But, uh, how much more is it going to be than a cost-capped LMP2 car, though, Sam? Because that's going to be the question that people ask themselves. Not a lot, frankly. There's not, there's not a huge amount of difference. All right, OK. I mean, there is the, the, okay, the, if you look at the Rebellion R1, the Rebellion R1 was second overall in this race today. Because yeah. the Eureka 07 is the yeah, Rebellion yeah, R1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, I'll buy that for a dollar. Uh, a couple of things that uh, Eve's asked me to point out. Um, our Motor Trend On Demand special offer that's on the banner on the Radio Le Mans page. Now, a lot of you who are listening here on 91.2 FM Mobile One Radio Le Mans um, w might have not have had a, the opportunity to do that. But I know that when you go home, you'll want to download some of the podcasts. They're all on our Le Mans page via RadioLeMans.com. And there's a banner on there from Motor Trend On Demand. We're going to leave it up. So the offer continues. The guys at Motor Trend On Demand have been one of our partners for the hourly updates. We're going to leave that up for a couple of weeks after Le Mans so that you've got the opportunity to save yourself some cash and get a great deal on Motor Trend On Demand's comprehensive service uh, so you can do that when you get back to the UK. And wherever you are in the world, uh, you can click on that and it will uh, give you an option for your home country. Thomas Cales tweeted RSL underscore studio to get involved with the Aston Martin post-race tech. Is this a, ra a race that is a success story for LMP2 or is it simply 
a failure for LMP1 and the hybrid power with so many issues at the front. Can't it be both? I think it can. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's exactly that, yeah. It, it, could, it could be a, a success or a failure for both. I, I don't think you judge things like that. It's a motor race. Uh, Alex Vertz replying to a former Formula One commentator said, you can't judge Le Mans by anybody else's standards. Mm. It's just Le Mans. It's that race. And I, I think that's reasonable to say. Uh, look, the story in LMP2 coming into this was, will they last beyond six hours? Will they last six hours? All the gearbox actuator issues that people had talked about. Now, we had one car that needed a gearbox cluster. I didn't hear anybody say that they had a gearbox actuator problem at all through that race. So, you know, I, all right, I wasn't here all the time, but, you know, the, the reliability of more than half the field of P2s was pretty stout. And given that that was the case then, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that we can say that it was anything other than a good result for LMP2s, which is a brand new formula, Sam. LMP1, it just tells me how hard they're pushing. I think LMP1 it is a bit of a failure for LMP1, absolutely. I think the, the question is right, but both things are right. Now, I might have to throw my headset in the direction of Paul Trussell okay. to answer this question, but... We talked about it on test day, and I sounded a bit obsessed about this on test day, and I did sound a bit obsessed about this in the race, but I think it did play a deciding factor. Okay. The lighting issues on the left-hand side of the Arakas, how much of a thing was it? Did left, it left rear. Did it left rear and left front and mm. the number panels? Did it change the outcome of the race? Paul? A lot of people in and out of the pits to change tail sections, which added times to pit stops. Materially, did it affect... The race, hard to say, I, Paul, I, I suppose. I don't think it materially affected the race, no. Uh, but it's like all these little things. If you add up all the little things, you get to a big thing, and eventually uh, a big thing um, does affect the outcome of the race. Um, uh, I mean, the the end of the race in GTE Pro was a similar sort of example, where if you sort of look back at all the little things where you could have made a tenth of a second difference or uh, a, a second of a difference, then that could have changed the way that things... It just comes how it, how it comes somehow. Um, but the thing I would like to say whilst John and you, Sam, are listening, was the stat that I pulled out right at the end of the race, that the level of attrition in this year's race was the lowest ever. Yeah. It was 80... 2%, I think it was, I worked it out. Right, finishes. Uh, 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 yeah. Um, mm. So we had fewer retirements than per, per entry that we've ever 60 had 60 starters, 11 didn't finish, yeah. I think we said. Yeah, because there's 49 cars still on the timing and scoring screen with Roman Brandella, the final yeah. Chevrolet yeah, Corvette, across the are, line. Are we, are we making a difference about cars that didn't finish off or cars that didn't classify? Uh, both, class yeah, got all both. that in, yeah. Right, OK, yeah. fine. Um, and uh, at Floodman11 tweeting RSL underscore studio, um, can we just take a moment to appreciate how bulletproof the LMP2s have been? We've done that. Three yep, retirements great. from the 25, but the three retirements all retiring with accident damage correct. rather than reliability problems. Yeah, I, look, the, the 13 car had issues. They were in a good position when they did have the gearbox cluster that had to be changed. And then it went from bad to worse after that with uh, a variety of, of other issues for that car, including the dreaded starter issue but my goodness didn't they try to get around that with the the pole that they stuck in through the bodywork and kept hitting it with the hammer remotely remote belting of a starter motor that's magnificent and that to me is one of the spirit of Le Mans entries from my point of view to keep that car running banging it with a hammer when they had the pole going down through the bodywork yeah. it's brilliant 
Fantastic. Very, very ingenious. And that's kind of what you need sometimes in this great race. Uh, we've had a couple of um, questions, one one of which from Matt Guest saying about the bike collars car that we lost so early oh, on. They'll be kicking themselves. The four machine. Well, what if that hadn't been involved in the first lap incident? Where might that have finished if it had done the distance? That's a big if, I realise. Uh, ifs and ands, the usual thing. But... Would it have had the pace? Maybe, but I'm not sure. But it certainly could have been on a podium. Could I've have got, been. I've got to be careful what I say, considering who else I work for. But, yeah, I think it would have finished exactly where it did finish. Right. After two laps in the pits. I, you just don't think it can get 24 right now? I think there's nothing wrong with the engine. Right. So the install is an issue. Not just the install, it's, the entire chassis. I mean, I mean, it's not on fire, but that's a big achievement for them. Well, no, but it, I mean, it, it looked so good at Spa. It did look good at Spa. And, 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 its, and its performance was good. And its pace here, look, its pace here was faster than the last non-hybrid pole sitter in 2011 from exactly. Audi. Exactly. The, the, the car works, the engine works. Why didn't it work in the race? There's a big question mark over that, and it's well, nothing to do with the engine. Well, they got they got clobbered by a bit of debris that wasn't their fault. No, so they got, that, that debris was called Nico Lepierre in a Toyota. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> so, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, you got to... I, I know it's difficult for them because you can only race what's in your class and when there's nothing else in your class, you kind of stand out a bit. And, and it's difficult for them because they're never going to get any any praise for anything they do. They did a good job at Spa. I thought they didn't get any look at all here in the race. I, I would like to see them get into the meat of the race. I, I, I think I think if they ran properly, like they did in qualifying and practice, I think they would be in a very different conversation right now. They, I just don't believe they ran it properly in, in the race here. Do you see them coming back into whatever P1 private year morphs into, if indeed it does? I think it's irrelevant because we're going to see some serious runners in that class, the Ginetta Juno car. Where's the oh, sorry, money the coming from for that, Sam? I don't know, but they're doing well, it. Well, I mean, that's well, the problem. But the money is there. The money is there because but, you and Baldry, Bull, Paolo Catone, the people involved in that project, the Mechachrome, they would not be involved in that project if there was a But are you just going to move worry. people over from P2 or is it a new slice of cake? I'm not sure about the answer to that. The parent car, mystery who's bought those two chassis, but I believe I Nick would he tell me. I thought we find this way. Yeah, he's here, but he hasn't. I haven't seen him. He hasn't told me. The better question is, whose engine will it have in it? Well, we know there's two Nismo engines going spare. AER's engine, the direct injection engine, it had some problems in, in the Rebellion and in the Collars car in past. That is still available. The Mechachrome's only available but to genetic AER customers. But the Indy Lights engine, is that, could that be used as an endurance I engine? I don't think it's direct injection, is it? You need direct injection in LMP1. Really? One of the things I think that's really important, though, a proper, and I'm talking about the Ginetta particularly here, a proper LMP1 lightweight chassis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a proper LMP1. A la 675 type thinking. Exactly. And a, a properly designed for the purpose with a proper engine designed for the purpose, like the Mechachrome F2 engine that they're using with the direct injection add-on. That car is going to be a weapon next year. We've seen in the States with mixed category prototype racing that I wasn't that keen on when I heard the the proposals for it, that small but light cars, and we're talking about the, the two-litre Mazda-powered cars uh, from the old prototype lights series becoming a secondary class. And in the right circumstances, they can give LMP3 cars, the big, hefty, rumbling V8, to run for their money. And I think that's quite interesting that you've mentioned that because it does prove to me that still a... A lights category, a voiturette category, could still be something that could work. 600 brake horsepower. Yeah. Four cylinders. Yeah. Turbocharged. Yeah. Direct injection. Yeah. Available to customers in 2018 for LMP1 specifically. Yeah. 
designed and built by Toyota. Yeah. It's going on the market in January. Uh, and I presume then four-cylinder engine technology coming from Japanese Super GT? Exactly. TRD are releasing the Super GT or a variant of it to customer LMP1 usage from January. That was announced earlier this year. It didn't get very much coverage in the UK media because they only put it out in Japanese because that's the way things work yeah, in yeah, Japan. Yeah, I understand. That engine is going to be available to anyone who wants it. I've seen pictures of the engine. I haven't been to see the it's engine about itself. about the size of a handkerchief, isn't it's it? It's tiny. It's <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny. It's the perfect lightweight engine for a lightweight car. That is something to watch. And what possibly, if this car class does collapse, which it LMP1H, there is this very much potential that it could collapse even by the end of this year. Mm -hmm. Could Toyota come back with a non-hybrid car? How does that work for their marketing, though? They've, they've sort of tied themselves into it. Car in front is still a Toyota. Is, isn't it a shame we don't still have somebody like, oh, I don't know, Lola to build a chassis? Uh, it's, a, it's a crying shame what's happened to the... Still there. I drove past it the other day. It's rotting. I, I mean, know. the wind tunnel's still there. It's still operational. I mean, you look at... It's not just Lola. It's it's March. It's Reynard. It's it's all the spin-off companies. All we've really got, Miguel, who don't have enough composite facilities but could come back. The curious one is Areca. Could they really step up and do another custom LMP1? Lige, they've got big plans. Let's see what they come up with. Some really big advances as well in composite technology in things like Cure Time that uh, have got broader automotive industry, low-volume automotive industry applications that I've been looking at lately. And... What you've got to say about that is that that could have massive, massive implications uh, for motorsport. And uh, I'll I, be very interested to see what happens there. Uh, Johnny, fire away. Yeah, um, we've got one or two, again, loads of people wanting to get involved in the LMP2 conversation at m6 underscore gtln that's a very cool twitter handle mm. uh can the lmp2 drive train supplier offer upgrading components mid-season or does no. homolog homologation prevent it well yes. if there if it is on the basis of safety or um reliability i think is the situation isn't it you know this Gemma, better than me uh do i yes, yes. sam my fellow colleague is saying yes <laughs> Evo package. Oh, really? One only for the season, and it's cost-capped as well. For four years. Right, okay, so one Evo package in four years. Right, okay, so that we'll need to see. There is an opportunity as well for the ACO to allow the chassis manufacturers to come up with safety or performance-related items, basically in the hope of balancing the playing field. Now, they've eschewed that opportunity at the moment and said they won't do that, but there's one very small paragraph, and it's, it's actually not where you'd think it would be in the regulations, in the sporting or the technical regulations. It's in where people have to pay licence fees and things like that, and it, it tells you that they pay a lot less if it's a safety or asked for by the sanctioning body to do that, and then you make it available to your customers at a certain price. So it is there... They have thought about this. They eschewed the opportunity to do it here for Ligier. Going forward in the season, let's let's see what happens. Graham Goodwin making the point that the Multimatic LMP2 is in the Lola Wind Tunnel right now, apparently. So right, it right is now? Being, right now. On so, Sunday afternoon yeah. at, at 10 to 3 so UK at least, British summertime. At least the wind tunnel's being used. Yeah, it is being used. Whether the rest of the site is, the that's a real shame. The autoclave's still there. The autoclaves are over the road, yeah. Yeah, OK, fine. Um, 
Trevor Austin asking about Delara's hitting trouble. Uh, how was their average pace on clean runs? It's a question for Paul, really, compared to Orica's, especially on the ends of tyre stints. We'll need to investigate average stint times and across the, the Delara's. But, I mean... The, Del- the Delara chassis, I don't think there's much wrong with the Delara chassis. That's the look, base of the Cadillac. And they've spent an awful lot of money on that Cadillac. And I, and I think that... I think Delara would be, if it was me who was another manufacturer, I'd be knocking on Delara's door right. to, to speak to them about doing my... If I was a Miggins Automotive, um, I'd pick somebody out. No, I won't do it because people will then think I know something about it. If, I was a, if it was Hindoff Automotive, if it was mm. Hindoff Motorcars, I'd be knocking on Delara's door and say, can we have a similar um, deal that you've done for Cadillac? The problem is... Would Delara want to do it? They can't say no. They're not allowed to really turn it down in terms of supplying the chassis. It's written into the regulations that they're not allowed to do that. If they've supplied one DPI manufacturer, you've got to supply another OEM. But it's how hard you want to work to make that competitive against a Cadillac who you are very much holding hands with. I think that puts them in a difficult position. But... I, I, there's no doubt to me, having seen that Cadillac close up, that it's a very, very nice piece of kit, and the uh, the, the the base of that car is uh, is pretty solid. It's the Aston Martin post-race tech show on Mobile One Radio Le Mans after the 85th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. This is a question for Gemma Hatton of Race Car Engineering because we spoke quite a bit prior to the race and during the 24 Hours, Gemma, about hybrids and hybrid technologies, and clearly. Out of this race, there have been so many hybrid issues. A uh, question from this honest Abe about uh, whether this race is an anomaly or will they present or they persist for, with the rest of the season. So I, I don't know how much you know about the current hybrid systems, but clearly both Toyota and Porsche will be concerned that their units won't last 24 hours. The thing is, we now head into the World Endurance Championship and the next race is a six-hour affair. It is a six-hour affair for the rest of the year, all the way through to Bahrain. So are they going to sort of focus on, I don't know, narrowing the technology down so that it will do six hours and not be concerned about the much longer distance? Well, it's a bit difficult. Firstly, I want to make the point that there was a lot of, um, you know, talking about the Porsche saying that... um, you know, or all the failures, but actually the hybrid system allowed it to at least get halfway around the track back mm. in the attempt to the pits, you know, with that uh, drop in oil pressure. If they didn't have that hybrid, they would have had no chance the moment that engine had gone. So there was a few, I saw a few comments about that um, during the race. In terms of the systems, obviously this is the biggest challenge for a hybrid system. Um, although I think that the Toyota maybe, was it the Toyota that did equivalent of 30... Uh, hours of testing uh, four times, effectively four 30-hour endurance races. So they would have test for reliability, but obviously not in track temperatures as we saw today. So I think, you know, hybrid components, they are so complex. There are so many parameters, so many design variabilities. And if you're going to see failures at any point during a WEC race, it's going to be in 24 hours, and it's going to be when you're experiencing all the uh, the temperatures that we had here and you know we didn't have any rain there were i haven't seen a cloud today <laughs> so you know it's pretty much the the worst situation for a hybrid powertrain so you know i don't think this is a true reflection that oh hybrid systems are rubbish and you know it, it, this was an extreme set of the circumstances and actually 
there wasn't that many hybrid failures. There was lots of other things going on as well. Yeah. So that's my opinion but anyway. It, yeah, well, that's what we want. Uh, is, was it a great opportunity, though, for hybrid technology to come through this sort of heat and go, you know, it is indestructible, Nick Damon, uh, and they've lost the chance of putting in a good statement I, there? I'm not sure if I actually agree with Gemma's last statement. There weren't that many hybrid failures. Wasn't there 100% hybrid failure? All the, the nine, hybrids the, failed at some point. Uh, I'm not sure on the nine car. On no, nine. The seven stopped with, an, with a drivetrain issue. The hybridization is part of the drivetrain. Yeah? Doesn't matter. It's the clutch. It's connecting the bits together. It's a hybrid failure. Perhaps the nine is the only one which wasn't a hybrid. So four out of five failed in their drivetrains. No. The winner had a hybrid drive replaced. Yes, that took The eight car had a hybrid drive replaced. Two cars. The seven, the nine car, sorry, the seven car also had a clutch failure. That's a, that's, that's a drivetrain hybridization. No, no, it's part of the... Hi- they wouldn't have the same clutch situation if they were... No, it's drivetrain. Drivetrain is hybridization. It's the whole point. The word hybrid, Sam, means you are bringing together various different drivetrains. Let's uh, allow Sam a right of reply. This Hang is going to be about as coherent as Philippe Massa. No, 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 no. Philippe, Philippe Massa is always very coherent. Um, the clutch failure is a clutch failure. It could happen on a GT car that hasn't got hybrid system. It's a clutch failure. But their clutch will be part of the drivetrain, which has been designed to incorporate the hybrid system. No, 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 because that's not where the hybrid system bolts in. It's just a clutch failure. It was just a simple clutch failure. It might have been a management system on the electric management and the actuation system, but it was a clutch failure. The only hybrid problems were two. One was a connection between the drive motor and the front axle, and one was a proper motor failure. There were only two failures. The other hybrid car that failed was down to driver error and taking out a manned LMP2 in the exact circumstance that we described on the Thursday show that we all did. That was the exact circumstance. Lapierre made a mistake, and then he tried to drive the car back to the pits far too quickly, I think, and that damaged the car I, I still think that four of the five failed. Well, four or five cars four failed, the, but it yes. wasn't hybrid. And, the four, and they all failed with drive chain issues. No, they didn't. One had a driver issue. Yes, and the other four cars... This is, let's not get into Rao, Sam. It is a fact <laughs> the other four cars had a mechanical failure. Yeah, but not necessarily to do with hybrid systems. Are they hybrid cars? <laughs> is the drive-in hybrid? Is this the five-minute argument or the full, full half, half hour? hour. <laughs> it's, it, it, we're getting semantics here. It doesn't matter which part of your drivetrain failed. The reason you designed the drivetrain that way is because you are hybridised. Yeah, but LMP2s have clutches too. Doesn't mean... Uh, Anyway, the fact is, four of the five cars fell for a mechanical reason, which is part of the hybrid drive. Ah, uh, disagree. Disagree. But we let's go that. back to Gemtech. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I, clearly, there are two very different opinions here, and that's what we like. I think, I think it's on Sam, I think the reason being, tech. I think Sam is, is, is rightly coming at it from a purist uh, engineering side, and in, in many ways, an apologist for the mistakes of the engineers. Um, frankly, it is unforgivable the two failures that they that achieved and then we put the Gemma made about the 30 hours testing it's the same problem that um, Audi had with the wide mouth frog car a few years ago the 15 in that they didn't test the cars properly they didn't test them with other cars with debris with rubbish with cars pinging them left and right with gravel with everything else I know it's virgin possible to test it that way and they certainly have turned up here and it's far too hot but I think the fact is that you know, the reason they have not succeeded is because Toyota, because all three of their cars failed. Absolutely, one was down to it. was the slowest car was down to a driver mistake. The other two are mechanical failures. And they have to go and have a long, hard look at themselves. They didn't... Last year, everyone was going, oh, I'm so sympathetic. They did a bad job. Their car did not last 24 hours. 
the fact they failed three minutes from the end is no more or less than the seven failing in the lead of a clutch failure of a highway with 10 hours. To win the race, you need to do 24 hours and a half a lap, or whatever it may be. It says you don't that do on it, the banner when you walk it's in. A, it's a mechanical failure. And if you're spending cubic dollars or yen, then and you fail, you fail. And I know it's a hard thing to say. Who succeeded here? The people we were thinking, oh, they're going to break down all the P2 cars mm. and the Gibson engines. And yeah, as you said, we all go, oh, all the gearboxes are going to blow up. Well, yeah, oh, out of 25, three. It's not a bad failure rate, 12% of it in a racing at this temperature and everything else. So the people who threw the money at it really underachieved. And the winners have been, and they've been incredibly lucky. But yep. you need luck to win. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there is an awful lot of the, the good luck necessary for the number two car, which we counted out on several occasions. We made for a very exciting race, but I think that both the manufacturers need to take a long, hard look at themselves. They will be. Don't worry. <laughs> don't you worry. There'll be people that they're already the, starting that And process. the problem they have, of course, is that they don't get a chance to show what they've done to improve this for a year. If you have a complete nightmare, Mercedes, F1, Monaco, yeah. two weeks later, you can prove you sorted it out. Yeah. They've got a year to prove they can sort it out. I mean, Porsche are going to grab the headlines, the national headlines in the UK as well, and people that read about the race that don't necessarily follow it throughout the 24 hours think, oh, aren't Porsche fantastic? But behind the factory doors, think Porsche are going to be pleased with this win? They were nine minutes away from losing it to a P2 car. There you go. I think they'll be pleased with their their drive and their fact they never gave up and they kept on pushing throughout. I think the drivers. That comes think, from the personnel. I think the, I think the drivers yeah. and the and the race engineers can take a huge amount of credit. They'll be huge proud of the of team, credit. but as the product. Yeah, and you know, I see the design if, of if the I car. Was, if I was sitting there going now, oh, I really want to go and buy a Porsche. Should I go and buy a Porsche? I don't think I'll buy a hybrid Porsche because they don't work. If that's win on Sunday, sell on Monday, they ain't going to sell any cars on Monday based on this. Well, they yeah. will. They'll sell 911s, obviously, which are, which we normally aspirated, which is fi- uh, you know, normally driven. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, cause you, and I think they have set the brick bats. We are absolutely very pleased to see them as, as, as Radio Mom. We want to see them doing well. We want to, but I personally think, you know, what was, where was the excitement? The excitement was in GT Pro, where they had the, most of the cars came back, unless they did ping them off by stupidity. Reliable cars, balanced cars, and good action. The, the showboaty, the show ponies, well, not very impressive, to be honest. Um we have got an answer. We've got a, a winner of the uh, I Respect Spirit of the Race Award, I'm pleased to say. Plenty of votes coming in for various different uh, potential winners. We do have a winner now, and that will be announced right after this. Post Race Tech. Post Race Tech with Aston Martin. With Aston Martin. And I think it's safe to give you the winner now. It is, in fact, the number two Porsche who's won the Spirit of the Race Award for never giving up, for fighting back to win. Uh, JCDC, that's Jackie Chan DC Racing, second for winning LMP2 and for the second place overall after leading. We don't always go for winners, generally the collective, but I think... uh, They've definitely gone that way today for the number two car and uh, the mighty 38 coming a close second because that's going to be remembered forever, isn't it? Within DC Racing, within Jota Sport, who run the cars, to be uh, the highest placed LMP2 car ever uh, and very, very close to winning the whole thing. Um, more questions coming in about the number seven Toyota. Um, well, did Toyota choose the wrong energy regeneration, the seven car in particular? I think you know, when they decided to move away from... I, mean, I think you know, three years ago, we had three very different hybrid concepts. We had diesel flywheel, we had um, petrol uh, battery, and then we had uh, petrol uh, supercapacitor. 
And what's happened now is it's been the convergence based now this actually works best to make the 6-8 megajoules around here. And therefore, the, the choice was kind of taken away from them. It's kind of where the way the technology had driven them. So, you know, whether they, whether they put it together correctly is another question. But the actual concept behind it, I'm sure, is absolutely very sound. Yeah, I mean, it was just in the Toyota, we have the MGUs that, you know, regeneration um, of energy from braking. It's the Porsche that has the two uh, different systems on that car, the MGU, which again is the KERS, and the GUH, which is the recovers heat uh, energy from the exhaust and then stores that into the battery. So if I was to pick one that, you know, well, the MGUs are a tried and tested system and have been for so long, so... I'm a bit, yeah, I wouldn't say they had the wrong design because what they didn't lose because of lack of pace. If anything, the Toyota came into this race with the best pace and the best performance. It was just reliability. Here's a question from Nick Amp tweeting at RSL underscore studio and at RC Racing. Here's Nick Damon. What part of the hybrid system on the number one car caused a loss of oil pressure in the ICE? Do we know that? Does anybody understand the meaning of the word hybrid? Uh, when you combine two things to make one whole. Yes. Therefore, the two things you're combining are traditional ICE technology and some form of energy recovery. The whole is a hybrid system. If half of it fails, your hybridization has failed. The hybrid is not the electricity regeneration. That's the electrical bit. The ICE bit. Together, they are a hybrid. The hybrid has failed. Is that like a tea bag, hot water and milk? That's your cup of tea. And yeah. the individual items you know are not That's cup of tea. Brilliant. Yes. Exactly. That's hybrid. <laughs> like a hybrid plant, plant A, plant B, plant C. It's the way it works. I understand that. Thank you. I'm not saying I agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. You've got from, six Nick. hours in the car meet tomorrow. Do you agree with me or not? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, ta- we'll chat about it tomorrow. No, we're, we're going to do Apple song, I think. Oh, fine. <laughs> well, it always turns into that, doesn't it, with the six hours th- with Nick Damon. It did on the way down no, with a spot of share. Yeah. Why don't B1 teams test in high temperatures such as Bahrain, says... Oh, this, is, this is apt as well, from Lipton T. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Why don't they test in high temperatures of 50 degrees, way more than we've had this weekend? They do, says Sam Collins. I'm sure they do, yes. I mean, I don't, you know, obviously, again, trying to test in these conditions, trying to replicate every single issue that you're going to come up in a 24-hour race is impossible. That's why they don't do it, you know. Um, So they will be doing tests in places like Bahrain. But again, it's a different track. It's a different load to the tyres. It's different It's different humidity. It's different temperatures. Okay, it might be, you know, 40 degrees track temperature. But, you know, the track is a living thing. The tyres are a living thing. The people, you know, there's just so ELO, many variabilities. that's a living thing. Very good. <laughs> so, One for the kids there. <laughs> so you could run your car around Bahrain forever and increase its reliability, but you're never going to be able to simulate a 24-hour race. But for a test at Bahrain at 50 degrees, are you setting the hybrid system, are you setting the car up so that it survives the temperature rather than setting it up to win Le Mans? Exactly. That's so you, you, you're changing the parameters if you, to if sheer you remember, survival mode. Referencing back the previous co- uh, failure with the, the wide-mouth frog Audi, that fell because it rained and all the goo turned to emulsion, all the oil and the dust and it sucked the emulsion and blocked all its radiators yeah you know and again they couldn't even if they ran in the damp they couldn't uh, replicate that because they didn't have the other cars putting down all the rubbish and and specifically this track it is so wildly different to any other track on the f1 calendar which i know any bt 
you know, any touring car calendars and circuits oh, it's there. It's quite similar to Croft. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so it's such a such a bizarre anomaly in terms of what you design your car to, and that's why we see you know new specific downforce kits mm. uh, for Le Mans because it is so different. 80% thro full throttle around this place. So, I mean, it is designed to be a car breaker. That's why people keep coming back and have done since 1923. You're supposed to stress things and test things till they break, then you fix them. And it's about how quickly you fix them. I was actually impressed with how quickly Porsche dealt with that initial hybrid failure. It was the box that sits on the axle. It only took them, took them an hour and they will have rehearsed that several times over. I remember the year when turbos kept failing on the Audis and these red hot turbo parts were being brought out the guys were scolding their hands from the speed that they needed to get the things out but again it was a well rehearsed bit of choreography to get the thing turned around as quickly as possible I think Porsche had done all that they could in terms of practicing those things um, but it's a question of when they hit and where the car's going to fall back to I suppose with only two cars then that was one of them out of the equation however it did come through to win <laughs> in the end um, do, you, do, do we know anything about the Lamborghini and McLaren rumours for GTE says Phil Oakley so are we likely to have I mean we've had five well, not the Phil Oakley surely it might be the Phil at Bullcat is his Twitter handle if it was at don't you want me baby I think probably it probably would be the Phil Oakley we were thinking of you have terrible taste in music. I have very historical taste in music. Let me turn you down, Sam. Right, let's try again. Uh, rumours, Lamborghini, I've heard the rumour, but that's all I've heard. It. I think it's just a rumour. Lamborghini is part of the Volkswagen Audi, Porsche, conglomerate with Bugatti and Bentley, and all of those companies are involved in all sorts of rumours. I'd be astonished if one of them didn't do something in some sort of international sports car racing next year. We know, I mean, obviously Audi's involved in GT3 stuff, but I mean, a next step up. I'd expect to see something there. McLaren, I actually expect them to announce a GTE program. Zach Brown's here, Eric Boulier's here. I was expecting an announcement here. It hasn't happened. Not sure why, but I, I would be extremely unsurprised to see in the next few weeks uh, McLaren going to Le Mans in GT next year announcement. BMW definitely coming next year? Yes. So... And are the five that we had this year confirmed for next year as well? No. So Aston potentially with a new car. Aston's definitely a new car. David right. Richards has confirmed that. Corvette, Corvette. yes. Oh. Maybe Corvette is going to come either with the C7, which we've got here, yeah. or potentially the C8, which is rumoured to be mid-engined. We don't know the story there. There's obviously something going on at Pratt & Miller, whether that's for next year or the year after. But Corvette will be back. I mean, they'll keep racing. Ford, as far as I know, that's a three-year programme. I'm sure they'll be back. Uh, so Ferrari the doubt well Ferrari are never going to go away are they right they sell Porsche, too many cars. they've just made a brand new car Porsche have made a new car yeah so yeah I think so that's five that's the five well, that's five then plus BMW that'll be six and maybe two others to add into the mix as well so but when you've got a bunch of privateer cars you see mixing up taking out some of those NMP2 available entries yeah. who loses the entry slots Yeah. that's what you look at the 60 garages True. it's only 60 garages someone loses out so, that, yes. so who's going to lose out and uh those teams, those factory teams, will be turning up each with well, two cars. I doubt they get four again, that's why. That's a good point. So that will uh, all of a sudden make two further vacancies, maybe for BMW, but it's a question of fitting in two Lamborghinis and two McLarens. It's a great time to be a fan of GT Pro, though, isn't it? Oh, with yeah. six manufacturers coming in from 2018. The fans still flocking around this Parc Ferme area, immediately in front of our commentary box. This is why I love endurance racing. 
and the 24 hours of Le Mans because of the accessibility that we have, not only during the grid walks at the start of the race, but at the end as well to witness the podium. That draws to a close our Aston Martin post-race tech. My thanks to Sam Collins, Nick Damon, Paul Truswell, Gemma Hatton of Racecar Engineering, to Graham Goodwin, to John Hindoff, uh, to the responsible adult, Eve Hewitt, who, without, without whom... This wouldn't be all possible, and she gets us to the right places at the right time. She makes sure we go to bed at the right time, and uh, we enjoy our time here, along with providing, we hope, a very useful service as well via Mobile One Radio Le Mans. We've been live all week, in fact, from test day on 91.2 FM and globally on RadioLeMans.com. Uh, thanks for all your interactions. The conversation's obviously going to continue. There won't be a midweek motorsport on Wednesday. Traditionally, there isn't because we all deserve, frankly, a week off. So that will return a week on Wednesday. And Eve Hewitt is going to the cinema on Wednesday to watch a 3D Le Mans movie. That's what I call a busman's holiday. Somehow she gets a night off and still soaking up motorsport. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to keep the tweets going at Radio Le Mans all week, though. And we will speak to you very, very soon with VLN coverage next Saturday. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.